Bibles, if you would please, and turn with me to Luke's Gospel. This morning we are in chapter 6, beginning in verse 37. And we'll read from verse 37 through the end of the chapter. Luke chapter 6, verses 37 to 49. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How long can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together this morning. Father, now give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see. Father, help us to heed the call of Jesus, both in terms of discernment and in terms of decision. For we pray this now in his name. Amen. At first glance, Jesus' words in our text for this morning are very clear and straightforward. Don't be a judgmental hypocrite. There it is. Simple, right? No one likes a judgmental hypocrite, so just don't be one. But we know that it's not that simple. We know that as human beings, we are particularly good at judging. We know that as human beings, we are particularly good at seeing the speck in our brother's and sister's eyes while completely ignoring the log in our own. We also know that Jesus' words have been quoted and misquoted by Christian and non-Christian both. 
R.C. Sproul rightfully points out that uh, pagans who have no idea even about John 3.16 all seem to know this verse. You can't judge me because the Bible says, judge not. Well, as we come to the end of the Sermon on the Plain, it may help to remind ourselves that this sermon is Jesus' sermon. These words are Jesus' words. This is not my sermon. This is not Christendom's sermon. This does not belong to the religious right or to the PCA. But these words, these words that call us to both discernment and decision are Jesus' words. We are eavesdropping on Jesus' sermon. Now, on page five in your bulletin, you'll see there an outline for our time together. And in that outline, you see the big idea. Here's the big idea. Tend to your own soul. At the end of the day, that's what Jesus wants us to understand. We're not the morality police for the entire world. We're not supposed to pass judgment on others. We're not to be concerned with anything other than our own soul. Two points we want to make this morning. The first one is this. Self-discernment is not optional. Self-discernment is not in, is not optional. If you're going to boil this text down to something other than just tend to your own soul, we could say it's a text that it's about discernment. Not discerning what's wrong with other people, but discerning what's going on in my own life. And then it's about decision. Again, not the need to call others to decide, not the need to call others to faith and repentance, but the need to decide in our own lives exactly what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus wants us to understand that if you're going to be his follower, self-discernment is not an option. It's not an optional piece of equipment. It's not something that you add on later. Rather, if you are going to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to be as rigorous and as exhaustive in examining your own life as you do in examining the life of other people. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that we walk around passing judgment on others. In verses 37 and 38, Jesus tells us what he doesn't mean by being discerning. He doesn't mean that I walk around with a magnifying glass and a scorecard looking at the lives of other people. In fact, he gives us a command. Judge not. It's an imperative. It is a command. It's a present imperative. So in other words, stop judging. He's presuming the fact that we're probably already doing it. Now, Jesus' words here don't mean that Jesus expects us to never decide related to good and evil. It doesn't mean that we're to never say, this is right and this is wrong. But what Jesus is saying, <coughs> what Jesus is saying, is that there's a line between judging and being judgmental. 
there's a line between judging and being judgmental. And generally speaking, here's how you know that you've crossed that line. Judging looks at actions or words. Being judgmental looks at motives. You think in your judgmental spirit that you can discern the thoughts and intentions of another person's heart. Oh, they're doing that because X, Y, Z. Oh, they're doing this this way or they said that thing. And they said that thing because... And you give a whole list of reasons as to why that individual is doing what they're doing or saying what they're saying. Now, let's stop for just a minute and realize how ridiculous that really and truly is. How many times have you done something ridiculous, stupid, maybe even sinful, and found yourself later going, what in the world was I doing? What was I even thinking? What was, where was my head at? Where was my heart at when that thing was going on? We need to look no further than the Apostle Paul who shares a common lament. Why do I do the things I don't want to do, but the things I do want to do, I'm not doing them. Who can deliver me from this? So if I often don't understand my own motives, how in the world do I think I can suss out yours? How in the world can I think, oh, well, you know what? Less did this because less is motivated by X. I don't know. I don't know why less did it. Half the time, I don't even know why I do it. Why in the world would I think that if I don't even understand my own motivations, that I can somehow understand less's motivations? I don't know why Bryce puts lots of product in his hair. Maybe he's just flaunting the fact that he has hair. I don't know. I can't judge his motivations. I can't see into his heart. But friends, we do that all the time, don't we? We walk around and we keep score and we pass judgment. And we think we can see people's motivations. And understand, this isn't just that we're being rude. It isn't just that we're being unkind or uncharitable. But when we do that, we are being idolatrous. You're saying, wait, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, what, whoa, what do you mean? When we do that, we are putting ourselves in God's place to pass judgment on another person. Because who alone judges? God does. As we've been going through the book of Jeremiah, we've noted uh, how cheery and wonderful and light and airy the book is. Kidding, it's not. It's none of those things. And Jeremiah, very famously in Jeremiah chapter, 29, Jeremiah chapter 29, is going to talk about how uh, the heart is sinful and deceit, is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? That's verse 11. Verse 12 says this, I 
the Lord know the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I alone judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Friends, exercising the kind of discernment that Jesus calls us to is not being judgmental. I cannot know your motives unless you tell them to me. And I am not God. He alone knows the thoughts and intentions of your heart and mine, and he alone judges. Well, if that's what it's not, let's think about what it is. What it is, is he tells us uh, that we are actually going to be trained up. We're going to look like the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Now, these are words of warning, for there were a great number of teachers that are walking around in ancient Israel. There were a number of folks that you could have followed around and listened to. There were a number of people that you could have turned to for instruction. And Jesus says, he gives them first these words of warning in verse 39, can a blind man lead a blind man? Now, we know from reading the rest of not just Luke's gospel, but all the gospels, the folks that Jesus most, uh, most often referred to as being blind were the scribes and the Pharisees. They overlooked, they set aside the truth and the authority of God's word for the, for the supposed truth and authority of their own rules and regulations. They were the blind. And so Jesus says, listen, if you want to follow them, that's fine. You're going to end up in, into a pit. Now, again, as we saw in our Old Testament reading for this morning, that pit is not a hole in the ground, right? This is not some sort of uh, weird humor, right? It's not some sort of reel that you're going to find on TikTok with two blind people like wandering out in the middle of the street and then something bad happens to them. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking rather about the fact that if you follow people who are spiritually blind, the end result of that is going to be that you're going to fall into the pit that Ezekiel references. In other words, it's this place of death, this place of judgment, this place separate from the blessing and the presence of God. So he's warning them. It's not that, but it is this. It's that we will be fully trained to be like our teacher. We will be fully trained trained to be like our teacher. When I was uh, in middle school and in high school, I grew up in that golden era known as the 1980s. Uh, if you grew up in the 1980s, then there were two giants who, if you were a young man, uh, two great role models you would look to. One of them was Hulk Hogan. Uh, the other one, of course, was Arnold Schwarzenegger. And so between reading WWF magazine and Muscle and Fitness magazine, you could aspire to have 21-inch pythons like the Hulkster. You could aspire to look like the Oak, as Arnold was. But the thing is, if you wanted to look like them, you had to train. You couldn't just stand and flex in the mirror and magically hope to look like or become like Arnold or become like the Hulkster. And every month uh, 
in both of those publications, there would always be, uh, you would have, you can train like Arnold. You can train like the Hulkster. So you too can look like Arnold and look like the Hulkster. And it was later that I realized, not without special vitamins, could you look like Hulk Hogan or like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But Jesus is telling us that no, as Christians, we can actually train to look like Jesus. A disciple, when he is fully trained, will look like their teacher. So let me ask you a question this morning. What are you training for? What are you training towards? Is there any aspect of your walk with Jesus that could be construed as or could be uh, sort of characterized as training? I've been stunned over the years how many times people are like, well, yeah, pastor, uh, what you're talking about would be a good thing. That, that whole idea of reading your Bible, that'd be a good thing. But, you know, that's work. I don't like to read. Or yeah, that whole praying thing, I mean, I know I need to do it, and that would be a good thing, but you know, when I sit down and I start to pray, my, my mind wanders. Well, guess what? So does mine. That's where training to look like our teacher comes into play. I love the, the phrase, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said it, uh, anything worth doing well is worth doing poorly at first. Anything worth doing well is worth doing poorly at first. So how do I know that my training to look like Jesus, how do I know that I'm being fully trained? How do I know that that's coming to pass in my life? What does it mean then if, if, if I'm going to look that way as a disciple of Jesus? What would be a characterizing feature of that? Well, he tells us, doesn't he? He tells us that while it's really easy to see the faults of other people and it's really hard to see my own, that being trained to look like a disciple of Jesus means I'm going to be more concerned about the speck that is in my own eye than I am the log that is in my brother or sister's eye. And that's one of the really, uh, one of the really frustrating things about this is it is easy, isn't it? And if you're married to someone you know in particular, it's really easy to see your spouse's faults. Like, it is ridiculously easy to see their faults because they're just flashing at you all the time. But it's really hard to see our own faults. And that's true just in life in general. The person who's best at deceiving me is me. The person who's best at overlooking my own faults is me. And Jesus says, listen, if, if you're being fully trained, if you're looking like me, if you're my disciple, then you're not going to be someone who walks around ignoring the log in his own eye. Rather, you're going to be a person who's attentive to the speck. Don't worry about the log. Worry about the speck. He says that those who engage in this kind of work are hypocritical. 
So again, no one likes a judgmental hypocrite. So don't be a judgmental hypocrite. Religion, by its very nature, is hypocritical. A relationship with Jesus, on the other hand, is painfully transparent. Jesus isn't worried about whatever front you want to put up. Jesus isn't worried about the way you want to keep score. Jesus isn't worried about the way you want to make yourself feel better by passing judgment on someone else. Jesus is concerned about your walk with him, period. Focus on that. As uh, we used to say in our household, um, one, one of the worst things that could be said was in, in our house was that you, you had a bad case of the Budinskis. You were butting into other people's business when you didn't need to be. Mind your own business. Tend your own soul. He then says, too, that we are to become what we are. That we are to be good trees who bear good fruit, because after all, that's the promise of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That we are to be folks who, in our speech, show the beauty of the gospel. That that judging attitude, that spirit of being judgmental, is going to reveal itself most often when we speak. And so it's not just a question of, well, I, I just need to, I, sometimes I think we've all felt this way. I wish I could just stop talking. Why can't I just not, like, I just, mm. well, it's not your self-control that's the issue. It's your heart that is the issue. Do you know what Jesus said? He said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. It's going to come bubbling out. It's going to overflow. You won't be able to stop it. And again, it's not a question of what's going on with your self-control. No, the issue is within your heart. Several years ago, there was a, a, a person in management with a National Football League team, and he went on a rant, and the rant got recorded, and, and, and it was some pretty ugly stuff, stuff that, uh, particularly nowadays, this was a decade or so ago, but nowadays uh, he would have been tarred and feathered in the public square, and that would have been it. And there was a, um, a sports talk show that I listened to, and the commentator at the time and he was asking the right question. He was like, man, you know, when you hear this kind of stuff, you really have to wonder what's going on in this guy's heart of hearts. It's a great question. And the thing is, well, we know. We know what's going on in his heart of hearts because he just told us. He revealed it to us. So let me ask you, Another question this morning, uh, and this is one of those questions that goes from preaching to meddling, but I think all of this particular part of the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus gets right to it pretty quickly. How's your speech? 
Are you your spouse's biggest fan or are you their biggest critic? Are you someone who people know they want to come talk to you because it's encouraging, it's uplifting? Or do they come to you if they want to commiserate and they kind of feel the need to stir the pot and they know that you're someone who will do that? And now let's let's really get let's let's get right down to it. Not just how is your outward speech, how is your inward speech? Do you understand that if you're a Christian, you are a blood-bought son or daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that what you tell yourself or is your inward talk very different than that? See, I know it's hard sometimes to not be judgmental towards other people, but the reality is sometimes it's much harder to not be judgmental against oneself. And there's a fine line. There's a tension between saying, hey, I have to tend my own soul. I have to be discerning of what's going on in my own soul over and against uh, being judgmental of myself. And we need to wrestle with that. We need to work through that. We need to not be judgmental, not just towards others, but we need to be mindful of our own speech, not just outwardly, but inwardly. Well, Jesus then moves in verse 46. And again, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, if you're going to call him Lord, what does that actually entail? Well, we need to understand that in Jesus' day, that term Lord, that the Greek word kurios, is a loaded term. It was would be used to refer to people like Caesar, or if you were a slave living in a household, it was your household master. And the, the basic understanding of that was, listen, if Caesar said you had to pay taxes, then guess what? You had to pay taxes. Didn't matter if you liked it or not. If Caesar said you have to return to the town where your dad's people are from to be registered for a census, then guess what? That's what you had to do. Or if you were a slave living in a household and the master or the mistress in the household said, you need to go do this and you need to go do it now, it didn't matter if you liked it or didn't like it. You know what you needed to do? You needed to obey. And Jesus is saying to them, listen, you can't call me Lord. You can't claim me as your teacher, as your master, as your savior. If you don't actually do what I tell you to do. Now, he wants them to understand that doing what he commands is actually in our best interest. Verse 47, he says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Now, note something. Following Jesus' words, following Jesus' commands does not mean there will not be a storm. Let's note that. The houses are very different in the parable that he tells them. But what is the same 
is that they both have to deal with the storm. They both have to deal with the floodwaters. And it's only the house that's built on the rock that will stand and cannot be shaken because it's well built. But if you're here this morning and you're asking the question, as oftentimes people ask, Pastor, I'm, man, I'm, I'm trying to follow Jesus. I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm praying. I'm reading my Bible. I, I can see areas of growth in my life. But man, like it is just really, really hard. Why is it this hard? I thought that following Jesus meant everything was going to be great and I was going to win the lottery. Well, that's not what Jesus promised. What he promises here is that when the storms of life come, your house will stand. We saw that this week. Les prayed for the folks in Nashville. He prayed particularly for the pastor of the church in Nashville. I don't know if you're aware of this, but he, uh, he and his family, they've made one public statement in the aftermath. They did it via Twitter. Here was the statement. Through tears, we trust that she is in the arms of Jesus who will raise her to life once again. Through tears, we trust that she is in the arms of Jesus who will raise her to life once again. Friends, the waves are beating on the house. But it stands firm. We trust that she is in the arms of Jesus who will raise her to life once again. Jesus calls us to decision. It's not whether or not you want an easy life. It's whether or not you're going to build your life on a firm foundation. As we come to the table this morning, we have this glorious picture of why it is that we can lay down our need to be judgmental. And we do have a need to be judgmental some days, don't we? See, we cannot judge others. We cannot be judgmental. Because as Christians, we understand that Christ has already been judged in our place. We understand that his body was broken and his blood was shed. That he underwent the judgment of his father, not because of anything that he had done, but rather because of things that you had done and things that I have done. And I know sometimes we get that. We understand. We go, well, that's, yes, I understand that Jesus, uh, Jesus died. Jesus bore the judgment of God. He bore God's wrath in my place. That's great. But what about all the other stuff that's going on? What about the people for whom, uh, what about these people who, who are still walking around doing these evil things? See, the table not only reminds us that Christ has already been judged, but the table reminds us and declares to us that Christ is going to return again in judgment. 
So again, I don't need to be judgmental because as a believer, Christ has been judged in my place. And when I look around and I see stuff that makes me angry, things that make me very much want to be judgmental, I can step back and go, no, that's not mine, that's Christ's. And he's coming again. And his second advent will be different from his first. He won't be cute little nine pound, six ounce baby Jesus in a golden fleece diaper. He will be coming as the king of kings, Lord of lords at the head of an army. He'll be coming in glory and in power and in judgment. And so friends, in that we can tend our own soul. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the work of your son, Jesus. Thank you that you call us to be like him. Thank you that you call us to be fully formed. That we should be trained up to be like him. Father, we, uh, we feel the need to be judgmental all the time. Help us to tread well. That line, Father, we, we can't look at evil and simply say, oh, well, I can't judge. And at the same time, we're not to be judgmental. Father, help us, help us uh, by your grace and for your glory, help us to, to walk that line. And help us to live as we mourn, as we grieve, as things happen, as, as the waves come against our house. Help us to rest in the foundation of not what we've done, but what you have done through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For we pray these things now in his name. Amen.